We're turning back to that prophecy of Ezekiel and to the ninth chapter, the following chapter, chapter 9. Ezekiel and chapter 9. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. The glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon the way, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said, In mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass, while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great. The land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. Behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Amen. Let's bow our heads again in prayer and ask the Lord's help in our considerations. Our Father, we thank thee that we are able to come before thee tonight. We pray for help in the preaching of thy word and in the hearing of thy word. We pray, Lord, that it might be a warning to those who are lost, that it might be an encouragement to those who are thine, who weep and who wail after the abominations that are done in this land of ours in these days. Lord, we pray that we might know the comfort of the Lord. And, Father, we pray for those who walk in darkness. Lord, that thou wouldst turn them even unto thyself and have mercy. Lord, bless us, we pray thee. Uh, we pray with Ezekiel of old, wilt thou destroy the residue of the people? Lord, we thank thee that thou art a merciful God. But there is a great provocation in these days. So, Father, we pray that thou in thy wrath will remember mercy and that thou would save those for whom we pray and for whom we seek thy face. And, Lord, we pray that thou wouldst help us that we might be watchmen upon the city wall giving the alarm and father we pray that thou wouldst deliver many from that wrath which is surely to come 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have here in these two chapters, uh, if you remember the eighth chapter, that there was a vision which was given to Ezekiel. Uh, it tells us there in the first verse that he sat in his house, the elders of Judah sat before him, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me, and I beheld and lo a likeness of the appearance of fire. And he put forth, verse 3, uh, the form of a hand. This is chapter 8, in case you can't find it in chapter 9. In chapter 8, verse 3, he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head and the spirit lifted me up between uh, earth, heaven and earth. So this is a vision. This is, uh, he wasn't actually lifted up by his hair and carried over Jerusalem. In fact, he was a long way from Jerusalem. He was in the land of Babylon at this time and he sees these things in a vision. And he is seeing the judgment which is upon the land of Judah uh, because of the iniquities which had gone on in that land. And the Lord is showing to him those things. Uh, probably our hearts, if we were to consider the carrying away of the children of Judah into captivity, would go with those people. Uh, and we would think to ourselves, what a terrible thing that they were defeated by the Babylonians, that they were carried away captive, that they were led many, many miles, and it must have been a hard journey with their captors uh, driving them into the land of Babylon, and how awful it must be to be taken away from your nation uh, in chains, so to speak, and uh, to be set in a new land uh, where you don't understand the language. We read in Isaiah that that would be uh, the way of it, and we, our hearts uh, w would be with them as they're carried away. And we would think that those who were left behind in Israel were, uh, if I might use the term, don't really like it, especially preaching from the pulpit, but we would consider them to be the lucky ones uh, who had been missed, those who had escaped, those who had hidden, and those who had remained behind. But the Lord is showing Ezekiel here that the ones who were blessed, the ones who had uh, received the grace of God, uh, were those indeed who had been carried away captive and uh, they had been told to move into this new land they would be there for 70 years they were to buy houses they were to buy fields they were to plant crops uh, they were to make themselves at home and they were to pray for the people amongst whom they lived they were to pray for the cities to which they were taken because they would be there for 70 years before uh, they could leave and come back again but in the meanwhile the Lord is showing Ezekiel the destruction of Jerusalem and he is showing him uh, the cleansing, the purging of Jerusalem, the destruction of those who had committed iniquity in the land of Israel. And we'll see here that the Lord is particularly interested and in showing Ezekiel the sanctuary, the very temple of the Lord, which had become a center for iniquity. And the Lord is, is showing how much that those who professed to know the Lord were those who were committing the greatest iniquity. And we'll see also here that they were, when the, the, those who were carrying the destroying weapons and the weapons of slaughter, as we see there in verse 2, were to begin at the sanctuary. Verse 6, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Judgment begins at the house of God. We are the privileged to know the Lord and those who are within the, the um, 
Christendom, I suppose we might use that term, uh, those who know the scriptures and they know about Christianity and yet they have perverted it and twisted it to their own purposes and are in the house of God, so to speak, amongst the people of God, uh, in the midst of the, of the temple of God because uh, we are the temple of God if we are saved. And they're in the midst of it and yet they are perverting their ways. That's where the judgment begins. <clears throat> it begins here. It begins with us. It begins with those who make a profession which is not real. It begins with those who we were thinking about this morning, the, the dogs and the swine uh, unto whom we are not to give the holy thing or uh, the saints of God. So Ezekiel is, is far away, is in the foreign land, and he has seen these visions of what's going on back home. Uh, and he has that opportunity then to preach to those who are with him, who are very sad, uh, remembering that old song of the Psalms, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And he say, well, you should sing the, Lord, the, the Lord's song uh, because you may be in a strange land, but those who are in the land of Israel are worse off than you. Uh, the judgment of God is upon them. The destruction of the Lord is there. The pulling down of the temple of Solomon and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. We know from Nehemiah and Ezra what the condition of the city was when they went back and how the walls were, were broken down and the, uh, the altar broken down and the very house of God was broken down and they had to start all over again. Ezra beginning uh, by building the altar of the Lord and then slowly this new house was built uh, but it was not like the old house. We know that the old men uh, who had known the old house wept when they saw it. And there was a laughter also and a joy amongst those who had not remembered the old house but now saw that the new house was being built once again. I don't think that the second temple uh, really uh, refers to that temple which they built when they went back. I think that the second temple really refers to that which is in Christ Jesus and that is the saints of God. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, I'm not talking about a kind of what is termed in these days replacement theology, uh, where the church takes the place of Israel. I don't think the church takes the place of Israel. I think that the church and Israel always uh, abode together, and the church was within Israel. Uh, the church are the elect of God. The church are, is the, are all of those who actually know the Lord, to whom the, the words of these prophecies were sent. And although the prophecy went out to everybody that everyone should hear it and that the warning was given to them, yet the promises of God clearly only go to those who hear the promises of God. Uh, the rest of the people weren't interested in the promises of God. They would turn to Egypt. They would turn to Assyria. They would turn to Syria. They would turn all around the place, but they wouldn't turn to God. But God's people were the ones who needed comfort. And they are the place in which the Lord dwells. He dwells in us. But we see here then, as we uh, consider the destruction of the city of, of Jerusalem here and the destruction of the sanctuary, in a vision, don't forget, uh, the, these are not speaking about actual uh, things that happened uh, of the six men with the weapons of slaughter and the, uh, and the other who was, uh, who was clothed in a linen garment and had the inkhorn, the writer's inkhorn by his side. These are not literal things. These are things which Ezekiel saw in a vision. And the thing that was to be done by the man with the inkhorn was he was to mark those who wept, those who uh, uh, lamented over the condition of the, of the country at that time. 
he was to put a mark on them. You'll see there in verse 4, the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Perhaps we should stop for a moment and ask ourselves the question, do we have that heart? Do we sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the house of God? There are many who have not much interest about what goes on, what doctrine is taught, uh, whether those things be scriptural or not, or whether they be the ideas of men. But there should be a weeping in our hearts. There should be a crying out to God for the purity of the, of the church and of the people of the Lord. Uh, and certainly it needs to begin in us. We are the ones who are able to follow the Lord wholly. Remember Caleb and how he was mentioned in the Old Testament, a man who wholly followed the Lord. Do you wholly follow the Lord? Is our, is our heart the Lord's? Do we lament over the corruptions which have entered in in these days? But there is a distinction also amongst those who are to be destroyed in the city and in the sanctuary and those who are the Lord's. And there were many, of course, in the city uh, that had a hope, uh, a hope of deliverance, and a hope that indeed will perish. Uh, for one, we could say in verse 9 of chapter 9 uh, that the old men there uh, had said this, uh, the Lord hath forsaken the earth and the Lord seeth not. This was their hope. It was a hope of practical atheism. And there's an awful lot of practical atheism. There are many in the world who say, well, we believe that there must be some kind of a God, but they don't live as though there's a God. There are many within the church even, if we think of the church as, as what we see as being the church, all those who say, uh, yes, I'm a Christian, and, but they're practically they're atheists because they don't speak to God, they don't read God's word, they're not interested in the ways of God, but practically they live as though there is no God. And that is a hope that will perish. Again, they say, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. And they are, they are saying, well, God's not here. So what we do, the way we live, doesn't really matter. But that's a, a, a philosophy that will come to nothing. That hope will perish. And then, there, of course, there are those who are out-and-out out atheists. Not really any different, to be honest. There are those who say, well, we're not quite sure. But they live as though there's no God. And therefore, they are atheists. They don't believe in God but then there are those who come down and double down on the statement and say yes we are atheists we don't believe there's a God and they will argue with Christians uh, usually as Christians they don't seem to argue very much with other religions uh, of Hindus or Sikhs or anybody else about whether there's a God or not but it's usually the Christians that they pick on but why do they double down well they double down because perhaps they have a bit more perception that they don't believe in God and that there is a, a kind of a, um, a, a prodding in their hearts to say, well, you know that there really is a God. And so they make a big thing about there not being a God. Well, there's no God because no one can prove it. There's a, no God because uh, uh, we can't see him and because there's no evidence of him. And uh, they say all kinds of things. And really what they are trying to do is to comfort themselves in what they believe. But there's not an awful lot of difference between someone who is an atheist, a true atheist really, who is not interested in God, 
and he's not interested in arguing about God because they don't believe there is one. So that's it. And those who uh, argue about the fact of whether there's a God or not because it makes them feel better that they've won the argument. But it won't help them in that day. The hope will perish. The other hope here was the hope of personal anonymity. The Lord seeth not. The Lord seeth not. No, God's not interested in what I do. God's not interested in my life. Uh, and if I uh, go away from him or if I blaspheme him, it, it, it won't make any difference to him. He, he's, he's, even if there is a God, he doesn't see. He's not interested. And there are other many who would say, well, there might be a God. Uh, perhaps um, they might uh, take up that idea, well, you're better to trust in God and be wrong uh, than you are to not trust in God and be wrong. Uh, because if you trust in God and you're wrong, well, then it all ceases when you die and you won't even know. If you don't trust in God, uh, Pascal's wager, uh, that if you, don't, if you don't trust in God and you find out there is one, then you're in trouble. And many people have that kind of a, a view. They say, well, but God seeth not. It'll all work out in the end. But not so. The judgment of God is coming here. And he has, as it were, set the six, six men with their destroying weapons and their slaughter weapons in their hand to go through and to destroy. Remember again that this is a vision. It is not uh, blood and guts and people having their heads chopped off and, uh, and the like. But a vision, it is speaking of the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is sure. But then we see the heart that will prosper. And so in this distinction, there, is those, there are those who have a hope which will perish, and that is God won't uh, see, or God hath forsaken the earth, or there is no God. <clears throat> and the heart that will prosper is that compassionate heart, the heart which in sadness weeps over what goes on in this world, uh, who, who comes and brings these things before the Lord in supplication and prays that the Lord would save souls, that God would awaken hearts particularly perhaps of the young people and our hearts can be broken over the fact that uh, so such is the uh, resistance to the knowledge of God in these days it is taught to our young young people they are taught not to believe in God they are taught that these things are not true even though those who say that they're not true don't know that at all and uh, there is no uh, proof for them either and indeed, this, the arguments which they bring of science are exactly the same arguments that we bring in the fact that God created that science. Science itself, of course, being, well, uh, is kind of personified these days. You know, almost made into a God. Science says this and science says that. But science is really the knowledge of things. Science is just knowing that things work the way they work and how they work. But why they work is because God created them. God created them perfectly and our argument would be say would be to say well look at all of the creation and how can you say there is no creator and they would say well look at all of the creation and we believe that these things came into into uh, in, into uh, into being by themselves well they wouldn't say we believe they don't like that word so they wouldn't use that word but nevertheless that is the fact it's a belief uh, there's no proof of these things, of course. But the heart that will prosper is the compassionate heart. God says as he comes to destroy those who are in Jerusalem, and particularly in the sanctuary, he says, first of all, go through and see those who 
who weep and that cry, who sigh and that cry for all the abominations. Those who love me, put a mark upon them. And the man with the inkhorn is to go first and to mark them. We hear sometimes the mark of the beast in the forehead. Now here is the mark of the Lord in the forehead. He is to mark them upon their forehead. The man, men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. It's not a physical mark. It's not a computer chip in the forehead that the Lord is speaking of here. It's the mark in the spirit. It's the mark in the mind. It's the mark that the Lord sees. And the angels who go to reap and who go to bring the judgment of God, they see it. A heart that will prosper, a compassionate heart and a committed heart. A committed heart in empathy with the Lord. Uh, a committed heart in enmity with the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, we read. But conversely, if any man love the Father, the love of the world is not in him. Well, we cannot serve two masters. We saw this just a couple of weeks ago from Matthew. Uh, we will either love the one and hate the other, or we will hold to the one despise the other. But if we are holding to the Lord, we despise the world. If we love the Lord, then we hate the world. And where do we stand? Where is our empathy? Do we see what the Lord sees? Or do we see things from the world's point of view? Are we in enmity with the Lord or in enmity with the world? That is the question. And then there is the hand that will protect. We have here a sovereign judge. A judge who has the authority to call in this ways, uh, in this way these men. He says in verse 1, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came, forth, came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, every man with a slaughter weapon in his hand. Then one man among them was clothed with linen, uh, with a writer's inkhorn. And here we see then that God is sovereign and when he calls for judgment judgment comes he is answered immediately there is none who can stand against him there is none who can resist him and these judgments are applied but we see also that he is a seeing judge now they had said that the lord does not see the lord does not see but the lord does see and when he says to the man with the inkhorn right this sign, this mark upon their foreheads, the Lord sees the sign. The Lord sees your heart. The Lord sees your forehead, your mind, your thoughts, where they are, whether you love him or whether you love the world. The Lord sees these things. He saw the sinners. We read together from Ezekiel 8, and we might just pick a couple of verses from there. And it says there in verse 6, He saith furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And again in verse 11, There stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood, stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. God sees. God sees sin. He sees your sin. He sees my sin. 
We cannot say that the Lord has, has abandoned the earth and the Lord seeth not. The Lord sees all things. And not only does he see the sinners in the land, but he also sees the saints. In verse 4, then again we read, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. The Lord sees, and the Lord sees us if we love him and if we are uh, sighing and crying over the abominations that are done in this land and within all that is called the church of Jesus Christ. And he is a sympathetic judge. He feels with his people. Now, these are the, the things they sigh and they cry. These are the emotions of their hearts. They are brought low. They are depressed by what's going on. And they cry unto the Lord for all these things. We see that Ezekiel also comes before the Lord and, and cries. You see there in verse 8, it says, And it came to pass while they were slaying them, I was left that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? He is one who sighs and cries in the midst. Do we have such a, a burden for the lost to sigh and to cry for them? There was then this disjunction uh, between them here amidst those who carried the destroying weapons and the slaughter weapons in their hand is a man of discernment. He is a recorder. He is a man who, who looks upon uh, them and he sees those who are the Lord's. Uh, and the Lord sees this. In Revelation 3 we read, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Perhaps we see here the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the recorder, the one with the writer's inkhorn, who writes upon the forehead and sets us apart from those who are of the world. And we see his, his position here in the midst of the judgment, in the midst of the judgment of God, in the midst of the indignation. Six men. They have their destroying weapons. But among them, we read, there was one who had a writer's inkhorn by his side. One man among them was clothed with linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And it was he who goes and marks those who love the Lord. And his power to know them that are his. He recognizes them. He is able to mark them and set them apart. And we see also his path, that his path is through the midst of Jerusalem. He was to go through the midst of Jerusalem. Verse 4, the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Right in the middle, in the middle of judgment, in the middle of all, the, all of the destroying power of the wrath of God, goes one who saves, one who delivers, one who marks those who are the Lord's, and they are, receive a mark, a mark of distinction. We think about the significance of this mark. It is divinely made. It is a mark which God has 
testified of. And he says to the one with his writer's ink horn, put a mark upon them, set a mark upon their foreheads. The mark of the Lord. Not the mark of the beast, but the mark of the Lord. Do we have that mark? Do we have it? Well, we can't see it. We can't stand in front of a mirror and say, yes, there's the mark. But what we can say is, do we weep? And do we cry for the abominations done? And here, uh, it spoke, speaks of being directly displayed. It was upon the forehead. And the thing about the forehead, of course, is it is seen. It is right there in front of everybody's eyes. And I wonder if that mark can be seen. Not as I say, in front of a mirror that you can look and see a mark in your forehead, but can it be seen in the fact, is it displayed? The fact that we weep and that we cry for the abominations done. <clears throat> Do people know that we have that attitude toward the world and the corruptions of it? You see, here the significance of the mark was it was to be upon the foreheads of the men, individuals, the foreheads. So every individual is marked separately. We think of the time when the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. That was in the midst of judgment too, wasn't it? The, the nine plagues had passed. And in the midst of judgment, the Lord says, Mark my people. They are to take a lamb. They are to set it apart. They are to make sure that it is sanctified. They are to slay it. They are to take the blood and mark the doorpost and the lintel. But this is not so. Every person that was in that house was delivered, whether they were the lords or whether they were not. But here, it is every individual. And of course, when we consider the judgment of God, it will come, but those who are delivered will be individually saved. They won't just be under an umbrella uh, of a church, so to speak. There are some churches, of course, who teach such a doctrine, the Church of Rome, that if you're a Roman Catholic and you're all up to date with all the things, then you're saved because you're a member of the church. But that's not the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is to deal with us individual. He knows our hearts. He knows your heart, whether you are saved. There is a, a symbol then which is put upon them. We think of the method of discrimination. There's something which we are uh, dissuaded from in these days, and that is to discriminate. But I think the, the whole uh, casting of the, of the baby out with the bathwater is involved there. Of course, there is discrimination. Uh, that, that, that discrimination we, we use every day of our lives. Uh, we, there is discrimination uh, of, of dangers and of, uh, and of things which might be threatening to us. There is a method of discrimination here once again. Observe the mark. And those who were to go through, who were to do the destroying, were to observe the mark. Uh, let come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary individuals the Lord passes by but he passes by individuals will you be one of those individuals that the Lord passes by in the destruction which is to come and uh, what a blessing that the Lord knows those that are his and then we see the destruction which comes and the origin of that destruction it is the, the seat of sin it comes from the north uh, and in Israel when the judgments uh, came upon Israel it always seemed to come from the north uh, I think it was a, a part of the terrain and, and getting from one part to another which caused the, the judgments of God to come from the north but here it comes once again from the north 
and it is the judgment of God. And perhaps there is something to be said of, the, of Zion in the sides of the north, that the Lord's judgments come from the north. And here it comes. Six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And they come. And here is the origin of destruction from the north. And we find again that uh, in Ezekiel 8 and verse 3, he put forth the form of an hand, took me by a lock of mine head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the heaven and the earth and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. And the Lord was coming to destroy. He was coming to overthrow. But nevertheless... We find that God is a God of mercy. We ask the question, well, what evil thing is sin that God should take such a, a, an, an attitude toward it to destroy, to send those with the destroying weapons and the, the slaughter weapons in their hands to destroy? If you just turn and consider verses 17 and 18 in Ezekiel 8, not so very far from <coughs> where we are in chapter 9, the Lord is justifying this destruction before Ezekiel. He is not seeking to justify himself because he's being judged, but he is seeking to encourage Ezekiel and say to Ezekiel, well, you can see why this is coming. And he is saying to him, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? Where was here? Well, it was in the house of the Lord. For they have filled the land with violence. We see that in our land in these days. Don't we? Violence seems to be filling the land. We're hearing of, of murders, people being stabbed and killed, and for all kinds of uh, strange reasons in this day and age. So many in London uh, just at this time. Violence is filling the earth once again, or filling the land once again. Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? They have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. The Lord will go through them. And the judgment of God will come and no one will stand before him when that judgment falls. Except the Lord's people. Because the Lord knows them set a mark upon their forehead they are his and when they go through with the destroying weapons and the slaughter weapons in their hands they are not to come near to the Lord's people those who weep and the cry for the abominations that be done in the midst thereof and we see the order of destruction that it begins at the house of God and first Peter chapter 4 verse 17 and 18 maybe Peter had this particular scripture in mind even but it says, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Oh, the judgment begins with us. And indeed it does, doesn't it? Because every child of God has come to judgment with the Lord. We have all been convicted of our sin. We have all knelt or fallen 
or bowed our head before God, knowing that we are the sinners, that the, that the judgment of God has come upon us. And we cry out for mercy, and the Lord has shown us mercy. But if the judgment begins at us, and we have that mercy, where will they be who have not sought mercy when the judgment falls? We see the overthrow of the deluded here. Those who said, the Lord doesn't see, the Lord has forsaken the earth. But the destruction goes through. And there is none who is delivered. None who is delivered. Now we, we find that, uh, that the Lord says there in verse, uh, verse 5, to the others he said in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. So everybody who has the mark, whether they be old or young or women or little children, are protected. Those who have not the mark are to be slain. We need, therefore, to hear the warnings of God, to call upon the name of the Lord and to have a heart which is transformed having come to judgment a heart which weeps and that cries for the abominations that are done in revelation 3 and verse two, verse 12 we read him that overcometh will i make a pillar in the temple of my god and he shall go no more out and i will write upon him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god which is new jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my god and I will write upon him my new name. At the end of Revelation, we find that the new Jerusalem is the bride, the Lamb's wife. It is the child of God. And the Lord will write that name upon us, upon our foreheads. Do you have that name? Are you Christ's? Do you belong to him? For when the judgment comes, it will not come nigh thee, but it will destroy all who are around who know not the Lord. May the Lord bless these thoughts to our hearts and warn those who are in such great danger of the destruction of God.